Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, this is a passage of Scripture that um, Bruce and Cheryl read for us. Luke chapter 23. This Good Friday morning, we begin a new series, a new series from the book of Acts entitled The Disciple-Making Experience. And you might say, well, John, if we're supposed to be in the book of Acts this morning, then why did you just have us turn to Luke chapter 23? On the opening verse of the book of Acts, Luke, uh, the physician who was a historian, who was a companion of the apostle Paul on, on one of his missionary journeys, Luke begins his, his, his word, he begins Acts with these words, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. His former book. He's referring to the Gospel of Luke. You see, Luke and Acts are really, as it were, one book in two volumes written by this historian. In the opening lines of the Gospel of Luke, we're going to put it up on the screen for you, Luke says this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. I'm going to stop there. Please go back. Notice the things that have been fulfilled among us. When he says many have undertaken to draw up an account, he's probably referring to some of the other gospel writers. But they were things that didn't just happen. They were things that were fulfilled. They happened in fulfillment of the prophecies that had been written in the past. And so we know here from what Luke is saying that he recorded for us historical facts. Let's go to the next line. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus is the man to whom he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. His name simply means a lover of God to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So here Luke tells us he did the work of a historian. He carefully investigated. See, Luke probably went back to the primary sources. It's interesting that in the Gospel of Luke, he records for us more about what happened in the Christmas event than Matthew or Mark or John. Luke gives us all kinds of detail, so he probably spoke to Mary and perhaps to Elizabeth and Zechariah. He, he spoke to many. He went back and carefully investigated. In other words, he went back to the primary sources to find out what had happened. And he said he went to those who were eyewitnesses. They were the people who were actually there. They saw it. They heard Jesus. And then this last line is an important one because he says that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Every single one of us in this auditorium this morning, you have been taught something about Jesus. Well, how do you know it's certain? How do you know it's true? How do you know it's reliable? How do you know it's accurate? You see, this was the purpose of Luke in writing both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He he wants us, his readers, to know with certainty what actually happened. 
So we come now to Luke chapter 23, and of course, there's so much we could say about everything in the gospel of Luke, but we're coming this morning to the, the record that Luke gives us of the actual death of Jesus. And there's information here. It's information that he carefully investigated. He went to the eyewitnesses to find out what they saw so that he could record it accurately for us. But what is it he wants us to be certain of in Luke chapter 23? And I want to suggest to you this morning there are four things. The first is he wants us to be certain about the importance of the cross. If you look at verse 26, the cross is actually mentioned. It's in reference to Simon from Cyrene, upon whom the cross was placed because Jesus at this point had been so beaten, he was so fatigued that he couldn't carry the cross on his own. And it says they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Interestingly, in all of chapter 23, the cross is only mentioned once. And it's not even Jesus carrying the cross. And so some people say, well, Luke, Luke didn't really understand what was really going on. Luke didn't really understand the meaning of the cross. But friends, if we go back to chapter 1 and go all the way through to chapter 24 of Luke, we will discover that his gospel, which he carefully investigated, is filled. It is absolutely filled with reference upon reference to the cross. It's all about the cross. He says so much to us. It actually happens Shortly after Jesus is born and Mary and Joseph go into the temple, you re remember to dedicate him to God, to give him back to God, to bring an offering as it were, as good Jews would. And they're met by a very, very old man in the temple grounds and his name is Simeon and he takes Jesus into his arms and he says, my eyes have seen, he's praying, my eyes have seen your salvation as he's holding Jesus in his arms and then he turns to Mary and he says, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel. He will be a sign spoken against and Mary, a sword will pierce your soul. That was a reference to the cross because she stood at the foot of the cross as one of the eyewitnesses of her son being crucified and a sword went through her soul when she saw that. This is 30 plus years before Jesus died but the cross even in his infancy loomed upon the horizon of his life. And then we come about the middle of the Gospel of Luke, the, the, the middle of the ministry of Jesus among the 12 that he had called. And in chapter 9, Peter finally confesses that Jesus is the Christ after Jesus asks, who do men say that I am? And they gave their answer. Some say you're John. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Okay, that's good. Who do you say I am? You are the Christ of God, Peter said. And then Jesus said this, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day rise again. And they didn't understand what he was saying. And then he took Peter, James, and John up onto a mountaintop where Jesus was transfigured before them. And there Moses and Elijah appeared and Peter and James and John, they're witnessing this very thing. Luke records it for us. And when Moses and Elijah show up and begin to speak to Jesus, it says that they spoke of his departure. 
Jesus' departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. His departure, his death. And then the Bible tells us, Luke tells us that as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He set his face like a flint. He was going to go to the city no matter what. He knew what was waiting for him there. As the time approached, he knew what was coming. In chapter 12, he says, I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. He understood he had a mission. He understood that the time was coming. In chapter 13, several of the Pharisees came to him, and these appeared to be Pharisees who favored him in some, in some way, and they, they urged him to leave the place where he was at that time because they said, Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus replied to them and he says, go tell that fox Herod that I drive out demons and I will heal today and tomorrow and the next day. And then he said, and on the third day reach my goal. Again, a reference to what would happen after his death. And then he added these words, surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. He knew he would go there to die. In chapter 17, while he was giving his discourse about what is going to happen at the end of the world, the various things that are going to happen, how the Son of Man will return in power and in glory, he then said, but first I must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And then just a little while later, he took the 12 of them aside. And at this point, he didn't just speak in, 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 in general terms. He got very specific in what he said. And, and he gave them more information as to what was going to happen. He said, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything, everything that has been written by the prophets is going to be fulfilled. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles, he said. And then he used these words. I will be mocked insulted, spat on, flogged, and killed. It's exactly what happened to him. And then he added, on the third day I will rise. And Luke tells us they still didn't understand. And then he gave to them the parable of the tenants. He talked about the owner who owned the, the field, and, and, and he gave the field to his tenants, and, and, and he told them that they could farm the field, and the produce would be theirs as long as he could collect a little bit for himself so that the owner of the field sends one of his servants to the tenants, and, the, and, and he just is asking for a little bit of the produce, a little bit of the fruit of the field. And they tell the man to get lost, and they beat him, and they send him away, and he... The owner sends another servant. He's beaten and chased away. He sends a third servant. He's beaten and chased away. And then the owner says, you know what? I think I'll send my son. They won't reject my son. Surely if I send my son, the, the, the tenants of my field will, will do what I want them to do. But they reason in their minds. The tenants do. Oh, he's sending his son. He's sending his heir. If we can kill the heir, then it'll really be ours. And clearly he was speaking of his death. And then in chapter 22, the chapter just before what we're going to look at today, Jesus went up into that upper room at the Passover. He celebrated the Passover meal. He took the bread. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then at the end of the meal, he picked up the cup before he passed it to them. 
And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then he added these words, so the Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, decreed. You see, the cross, it was there from, from the time of his birth until, until days before his death. The cross, it loomed on the horizon of his life. It dominated his life, not just the last week or the last few days of his life. His eyes throughout the totality of his life were fixed upon the cross. He knew it was planned. He knew it must happen. He knew it was his goal. He knew it was decreed. He knew the cross was his mission. And friends, you really don't understand. You don't understand the gospel. You don't understand the good news. You don't really understand Jesus Christ until you begin to grasp the importance and the centrality of his mission to go to the cross. Until, you, until the cross fills your vision as it filled the vision of Jesus It is only then that you can say that you begin to understand what the Christian faith is all about. Luke wrote this so that we would be certain about the importance of the cross. Secondly, Luke also wrote his gospel so that we would be certain about the man who hung on the cross. Now Luke focuses here on one thing concerning this man, the man Jesus. There are many things about Jesus that we could focus on. And the other gospel writers, they tend to focus on other things. But Luke focuses on one truth. It is the one dominant truth that he wants us to understand about the man on the cross. And what he focuses on helps us to understand the cross's meaning. So if we can just jump back to the first part of chapter 23 where Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate. Actually, before, he's before Pilate now a second time. Pilate had sent him off to Herod when he found out that Jesus was in the vicinity of Herod. And Herod had examined him and mocked him and then sent him back to Pilate, realizing, Herod realized that, 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 that Jesus had done nothing wrong. And so if you go to verse 13, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and he said to them, you brought me this man is one who was inclining or inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing, nothing to deserve death. The governor, the king of Idumea, the governor of Palestine, the governor of Rome, they found nothing guilty in Jesus. And then we come to the passage that was read to us this morning in chapter 23, and you go down to verse 40. Chapter 23, verse 40, both criminals on either side of the Lord Jesus. One of the criminals, is he cries out and he, he says in the, thir- the 39th verse, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. He's, he's mocking Jesus joining in with the crowd. But the other criminal, verse 40, rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He's innocent. And then at the time of Jesus' death, you go down to verse 47. 
after Jesus had breathed his last, the centurion, verse 47, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. What is it that Luke wants us to be certain of about the man who hung on the cross? He was absolutely innocent. He was not guilty of anything. So friends, when you and I consider the importance of the cross, Luke is saying to us that from the beginning of Jesus' life, Jesus knew that he was coming to die. But when we consider the man Jesus himself who was on the cross, Luke is saying that we can be absolutely certain that his death was not deserved. And it's important for us, especially for Mark's first readers, to understand this because he wrote to a largely Gentile audience, a largely Roman audience, and they would understand if a man is crucified, then that means he is guilty of grievous crimes. And Luke wants us to understand, no, we can be certain that this man was innocent. The third thing that Luke wants us to understand or to be certain of is about the purpose of the cross. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why was this his mission? Why was it so important? Why was it so important that an innocent man be crucified on the cross? And the purpose of the cross of Jesus is actually revealed in these verses through the words that are spoken during the crucifixion. Now remember, there are three crosses there. I know we normally see a picture of three crosses, sort of like what I have behind, or what you can see behind me here today. And we often think of these crosses being lined up in a row. It's more like, like, likely that the crosses would have been in a circle. Two thieves and Jesus. And it's likely then that the crowd is not standing off just in one line, but they are actually surrounding the cross, the crosses. The three crosses are in the middle. So there's conversation that is taking place. And you'll notice that there are many words that were spoken during the time of the crucifixion. And what I want you to see, first of all, is the words that were spoken around the cross. That is, the words that were spoken by those in the crowd and even by those, one of the individuals who was on a cross. Look at verse 35. Verse 35. The people stood watching. And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. Verse 36, the soldiers who were in the crowd, no doubt standing at the, at, at the foot of the crosses, they're hearing the crowd and, and they carry it on. The soldiers came up and mocked him. It says they came up. In other words, it's almost as though they stood at the foot of the cross and looked up at Jesus standing there. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And then one of the criminals as well, he chimes in, who hung there, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourselves, yourself and us. Now, you catch what's being said here? It's interesting. If we go back to verse 35, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's chosen. Matthew and Mark add these words. Let him come down from the cross and save himself. 
The word save is used over and over again. It is used in mockery of Jesus, but in the mockery is a truth. You see, the point is this. If Jesus had come down from the cross, he would save no one. The theme of the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus is the Savior of the world. It was said at his birth when the angels pronounced it, today is born to you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It was said by Simeon when the infant Jesus was brought to him, my eyes have seen your salvation. It's the whole theme of the Gospel of Luke. Luke wants to underscore this truth at the beginning of Jesus' life and at the end of Jesus' life that he came to seek and to save the lost and in these words of mockery these men proclaim a truth but what is salvation exactly and so we move now from the words spoken around the cross to the words spoken from the cross and Luke records two sentences for us There are many things. We know there are seven things that Jesus said from the cross. But Luke gives us two of them, and he gives us these two for a reason, because he wants to answer the question, what does salvation really mean? And how can we be certain of it? And so we go back to verse 34, and the first thing we see, the first word spoken from the cross is a prayer by Jesus for those who crucified him. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And the second word that Luke records that comes from the cross is a promise from Jesus to the one who was crucified with him. Verse 43, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. He offers the forgiveness of sins and he offers the gift of eternal life You see, this is what salvation is. To be forgiven of your sins means that the old life that you've lived is gone. And to receive eternal life means that a new life has finally come. That's, in essence, what salvation is. The old life and its sin is taken away, and a new life is given to you. Now, I want you to think with me now. I want you to reason with me right at this point. Luke wants us to be certain, right? So, if I then am shown by Luke the importance of the cross, that, that, that this cross was Jesus' goal, that it was the very focus of his life, it was his mission, it was the decree that came from God that Jesus would die on this cross. If I am shown the importance of that, Secondly, if I am shown that Jesus then suffered on that cross and died for the penalty, died to take the penalty for sins, even though he was absolutely innocent and knew no sin whatsoever. And now I find Jesus offering me paradise, salvation from my sin. Now, what must I conclude? What should you conclude? And the answer is this, that the sin that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross is the sin from which he promises to save me. 
It is my sin. It is my sin. In other words, the effects of my sin, of my rebellion against God, have been diverted from me to Jesus. Tim, Jesus diverted your sins from yourself to himself. Don, Jesus diverted your sins from yourself to himself. Cal, Jesus diverted your sins from yourself to himself. Hallelujah. But there is the meaning of the cross. And this is what we can be certain of. And Peter understood this, for he said he bore in our, in, in his body, our sins on the cross. Paul said, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now there's one more thing that we can be certain of, and it's this incident that happens here with the thief. We can be certain that those who respond to Jesus like the thief responded to Jesus will receive the blessings of the cross. The blessings of the cross are the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and we can be certain that if we respond like this thief, we will receive the same. Let's just read the story again at verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It's a very simple prayer. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, he had heard, this, this, this man didn't have a lot of knowledge about Jesus, but he had heard Jesus pray, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they are doing. He, he was there as the three of them carried their crosses. He, he would have heard the conversation that happened when the women were crying out and wailing when they saw the three men going through the streets carrying the cross. He would have probably heard what Jesus said to those women. He would have heard what the soldiers said. He had heard what everyone in the crowd was saying. He heard them mocking Jesus saying, he saved others, let him save himself. And something happened in the man's heart. If he saved others, then maybe he can save me too. He heard the soldiers cry out and, and call him a king, if you're the king of the Jews. And he could, if the crosses were like in a circle, he, he could have raised his head and seen the, the sign that was posted there above the cross of Jesus, this is the king of the Jews. He knew that Jesus was a king. And somehow he realized that Jesus was innocent that he was a righteous man, and this thief on the cross no longer wanted to be a rebel against God, and he simply said, a very simple prayer, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In essence, what he was saying was, Jesus, 
I want to become a subject of yours in your king, 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 kingdom. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. I know some translations say truly I say to you, but I, I love the way it's put in the old versions. I tell you the truth. Remember the old King, King James Version? Verily, verily, I say unto you. Truly, truly, I say to you. That's what happens in this verse. It's repeated twice for emphasis, meaning it's really true. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Immediate forgiveness was offered to this man. Complete acceptance was given to this man. And a wonderful assurance that at death, which was only minutes away, he would be admitted into the paradise of God where Jesus would be. How do we respond to this? I want to say two things then in conclusion for us today. The first thing is I want us to just think about this phrase, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. And then secondly, the next phrase, this do in remembrance of me. Lord, remember me spoken by the thief. And Jesus' words, this do in remembrance of me. Lord, remember me. There's a lot in those words. And yet it's a real short prayer. You know, sometimes we talk about the sinner's prayer and it's this kind of elaborate prayer that's got all the details in it. (laughs) It's a good prayer. This man didn't know the sinner's prayer. All he could say was, Lord, remember me. Think about me, please. Think about me, please. You know, we think, some of you think, if I can be very frank, some of you think, I need more knowledge about Jesus before this can happen to me. I I, I, I only know a little about Jesus and I don't really know enough for me to make this decision that is essential for my soul. No, you're wrong. And we don't want you to be eternally wrong. All you need to know is that Jesus is a king and that he died on the cross to take your sin. And if you will cry out to him, Lord, remember me. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Some of us think, well, it's not just that I lack knowledge, but, but, but there, there's some things I need to do. I, 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 I'm not living the right, the right way. I, 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 I need to change how I'm living in order, in, in order that this could happen to me. No. Listen, this... This man had no opportunity to do good. It was gone. He'd be dead in a few minutes' time. He wasn't coming down off the cross. He had no opportunity to change his way, to reform his life. All he could do was say, Lord, remember me. Some of us think, well, I need to be baptized or I need to take communion in order order to be right with God for this, this to happen to me. Listen, this man had no opportunity to be baptized. This man had no opportunity to take communion. No opportunity at all. Because these things cannot save us. What saves us is this, Lord, remember me. And those words are filled with trust in Jesus. That's a transfer of trust from self to Christ, 
completely. He knew he could not save himself. He knew that only Jesus could do it for him. Now this leads us to the second phrase, and that is this do in remembrance of me, which I'm sure most of us here are aware are the words that Jesus spoke at the Passover and which are actually written in the front of the communion table that is right in front of me, and you can see the words, this do in remembrance of me. You see, those who have said with all their hearts, Lord, remember me, are then to come to this table and to do this in remembrance of him. You see, it is only those who have called out to the Lord to be saved who then can come and rightly remember and reflect upon what Jesus has done for them. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I ask that your spirit would um, take what I have said and help those today who have never said, Lord, remember me, to do that today to call out to you today, to put their trust in you today, to stop trusting whatever it is they have been putting their trust in, and to unreservedly, wholly put their lives into your hands and to confess that you are Lord. I thank you so much for the salvation that you give to us when we do that. I thank you for the day in my life 50 years ago when that happened to me. And I pray for any who are here today who still need this to happen to them, that they would say, Lord, remember me today. I'm going to ask everyone to keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed, please. I'm not even going to lift my eyes up to look, but if, if you're like what I've just prayed, if you're like this thief and you've, you've never had this experience and you, you say, John, the cross makes sense to me today. I finally get it. I understand the importance of it and I understand that Jesus was innocent and I understand that, that, that he died for my sin and I need to trust him today. I need to be saved. Then you can simply pray that prayer right now today. Lord, remember me. Remember me. Remember me. Lord, save me, save me. Now for all of us who are here today, if, if, again, if you, if you have prayed this prayer in the past, if you have been like the thief, if you've experienced what the thief has experienced, salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and you know you have the gift of eternal life, then now we must reflect upon what the Lord has done for us and we remember what he has done for us. And so let's, let's pray silently now, if you would, please. This is an opportunity for you, again, to just simply thank Jesus for what he did for you on that cross. It's an opportunity for you to confess any sin that, that is known to you.
if you would all join me now as we have a prayer which we'll put up on the screen, a prayer of confession that we can all pray together. Let's pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Some of you may have wondered why Jamie wasn't speaking today. You were looking forward to seeing him. And uh, Jamie's come down with a very sore throat, so I was uh, filling in for him. Jamie doesn't know this yet, but he has to fill in for me on Sunday. (laughs) And so just a reminder that uh, Sunday morning here, Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Day, two services at 9 and 11, and we will continue this time in the book of Acts, and we'll consider the truth that Jesus showed himself alive with many convincing proofs. The little cups that you still have with you as you exit the auditorium, there should be receptacles out there where you can deposit them there. And now let me leave you with these words of exhortation and blessing. Go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to what is good. Repay no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Minister to the needy. Seek the lost. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen.